raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio is going to take it for a touchdown. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, here with you guys, as always. And uh, before we we get into, you know, what we normally do, setting the scene for this edition of the podcast, uh, guys, we have to talk about one of the most, one of the things that at this point, um, you know, has become way too common in this country and it hit home in Chapel Hill earlier this afternoon actually right after you know the stuff we're going to talk about here in just a minute ago uh, Mac Brown wrapped up his uh, press conference him and him and his two coordinators wrapped up their press conferences just shortly before one o'clock and that was when an alert was sent out from Alert Carolina uh, which is their alert system that is uh, tweeted out. It's also sent throughout campus. Uh, and there were um, alarms that went off on campus for an active shooter. Um, that shooter was at large for a little over an hour and a half uh, before they eventually found that person. They had made an arrest. Uh, the campus stayed on lockdown for about another hour and a half before uh, shortly after four o'clock students were released uh, and campus was opened back up. Uh, we do want to send our thoughts and prayers to the family of the one professor who is deceased. Um, we have not found out any other information uh, as of you know recording here tonight. Uh, that was the information that was given by the Chapel Hill Police uh, at the Chapel Hill Inn when they met with the media uh, shortly before six o'clock earlier this evening. Um, the good news is, though, that they do have that uh, suspect in custody 
Um, and, you know, the hope is that uh, this can, you know, be the start of healing uh, for the uh, community as they, they go through just a, a, a rough time and, and something uh, as I bring in Josh Marlowe, buddy, that we've we've seen across this country way too often. And uh, every time that this happens, uh, it, it makes you ask, why does this keep happening so often? Why is it so hard for people to get an education in this country, uh, which is something that we thought when we were growing up was just pretty much a given? Yeah, you know, we had we had something like this that wasn't directed to Carolina. It was it was when the 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 tragedy at Virginia took place last year. And I came on here and said, um, you know, I'm tired of having to send my thoughts and prayers. And not because I'm not going to send my thoughts and prayers. I'm definitely going to do such a thing. But I'm tired of having to do it for the same thing that we have seen happen uh, really since Sandy Hook back in 2012, um, and that was over a decade ago. And and I can remember being in high school and, you know, going through drills and stuff like that. And it kind of felt then like there was this vow to say that that that, that, that was enough. Too many innocent people um, had been murdered to, 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 to gun violence. And yet a decade's gone by and, and we've seen no action. We've seen just as bad, if not worse, incidents happen across the country, um, and it's really sickening. And when you look at when you look at Carolina today, you know, and, and what happened in Chapel Hill, you know, we we all have different ties to that university. We all have a different reason why we love Carolina the way that we do. A lot of it is for you and I. It's it's athletically driven, where there's a there's an appeal to the football and the basketball team. There's family that is directly involved. Your sister, a graduate from there. I've got family mm-hmm. that has over sixty plus years of getting their education from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And when you look at you know the university as a whole, and when, and the famous saying is. You know, what is it that binds us to that to this place is that it was as it was meant to be the university of the people. And today, the people in the university were failed, Um, just like we've seen, whether it's been in, you know, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools and now colleges, campuses, um, simply because. As a as a country, we allow our political differences to to really interfere with action being taken and you can bleep this out i really don't care at at, at one point are we not going to give a sh- if we're republicans if we're democrats if we're third parties innocent people are getting murdered every single day and when you look when you look around the world and you look around you know uh, 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 other places that have gun uh, gun control and their strict gun violence, what you'll see is there isn't a whole lot of gun violence that happens. Um, you can look at Australia had a mass shooting in 96. They've had one since. Like there's there's mm-hmm. definite proof that when action's taken, innocent people keep keep dying. And it's really baffling that uh, here in America, our, our leaders on both sides of our political parties just don't give a damn enough to take enough action to say enough is enough. Um, and it's, it's really, it's really just an empty feeling because, you know, 
it'll stick closer home to us because we're two and a half hours away from Chapel Hill. But this will be a forgotten news cycle by the end of the week because, as history has told us, this will probably happen again within the next, you know, 72 to 96 hours. Yeah, and that's the point that we've reached. And that's that's the sad state of this country because, frankly, no one no one gives a shit about you. They don't care about your kids. Um, you know, I, I've said it. I said it, I, I'm pretty sure, back during the Virginia shooting that – you should not have to be afraid to go to school. You should not have to be afraid to go to a movie theater, to a supermarket. But school is next level at this point. This is this has pretty much become a daily thing where somewhere across the country, you are expecting to see each and every day a shooting of some sort. Days like these, and for us, yes, because it's, the university that we cover, that we love, it hits a little differently. But it's any school across the country. This is, I mean, this this is just unbelievable how you could see this happen over and over again. And there is never any other response. It seems like in every other aspect of life, there is a focus of if there is a problem, trying to find a way to fix it. And yet this scenario, which happens over and over again, nobody seems to care. And look, there's there's people that probably listen to this podcast whose kids were on campus today. There's kids who may have been involved, you know, or, or people who have kids who may have been involved in other school shootings at some point. That's how commonplace it is becoming. Anytime you're in a room at this point, look around. There's a good chance that somebody's been involved in something like that at this point. And that is the sad state that we live in. And at this point, it seems like way too many people are complacent with the way that we are living. Something needs to be done. This is on the politicians because we are not the ones that can officially make changes. And again, the more times that we continue to call out these assholes that do nothing, the better. So, I mean, find ways to be as active as you possibly can and continue to harass your local leaders, Congress members, those types of people to try to help avoid a situation like this. And again, you know, we want to, one, commemorate the efforts of police officers, the fire department, the EMS who were responding to today's situation on campus. And we also, again, want to send our thoughts and prayers to the family of the fallen teacher on campus who passed away today after uh, being, being shot. Um, in just uh, a, a horrific and an and avoidable situation. So we'll make the transition uh, as hard as it is to talk a little bit of football, hopefully take your minds off of this, uh, especially if you're somebody that's on campus or somebody uh, that has somebody that's on campus uh, that is going through it right now. Uh, but, hey, the Tar Heels, uh, they do take to the field 
uh, in five days as of right now. I don't know if this is, you know, the situation that we just talked about is going to affect anything as of right now. They have not said anything that would indicate that that is going to be the case. So we are going to assume that they will be on the field uh, on Saturday night in Bank of America Stadium to take on uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks. And uh, Mac Brown met with the media earlier today, the head honcho, uh, him and his coordinators actually met with the media on uh, the first day uh, of the week. This is basically uh, setting up what we're going to see as we get into the season where Mac uh, and I believe the coordinators uh, are going to speak uh, each Monday as well. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, biggest thing that you take away, first of all, as you always do with all this kind of stuff, uh, here since, uh, you know, they announced the Tez Walker ineligibility situation is what is the latest on Tez Walker. And pretty much there's nothing. Um, this one, guys, is probably going to go right up until game time. So much so that Mac Brown said today that they are, one, installing two different game plans, one that involves Tez Walker, one that does not involve Tez Walker. So we talked about that on the last edition. I actually talked about that with Michael Coe as well, um, you know, about them preparing for the possibility that they don't have Tez Walker. Because Carolina has been extremely confident this entire time that they are going to have him. Uh, they've tried to remain positive. Now, part of that could be that they're just trying to remain positive for uh, the, the the kid himself, and, and I think that's probably the smart thing to do, especially because they say that he has really been going through it mentally, uh, trying to deal with this situation. So it makes a lot of sense that they're going to want to present a strong united front that's very confident. Um, but, you know, I, it's starting to become more and more realistic that Carolina will not have him, whether it's because they deem him ineligible or because they simply do not make a decision on him uh, to where they have to start preparing as if they are not going to have him. Um, and the other thing that I found really interesting is that Tez Walker, regardless of if he's eligible or not, he is allowed to travel with the team. They are going to have pretty much all of his stuff transported here uh, just in case he is uh, able to play. And they are expecting that it could go up until pretty much game time. Um, you know, I mean, this this is something that could literally come down to a couple hours, maybe even 30 minutes or so before game time, before the NCAA makes their decision, which is just absolute insanity. Um, so, you know, look, we've been talking about this on the last few editions of the podcast. I, I guess it's encouraging that they're starting to prepare for life without him. But at this point, I mean, this this is just every time they update this situation, it gets more and I, I mean, just more and more ridiculous. I mean, you're talking about a guy that is apparently having to show the NCAA more. They have to they have to process more stuff before they can make the decision uh, to the point where they, they are basically going to have him travel with the team just in case he is deemed eligible hours before the game is played. Yeah, I mean, this is almost like if you look at it, you know, in a vacuum, this is almost like a like a, like a movie type of script where it's like, you know, they're basically preparing and maybe he can play, maybe he can't play. Um, like, <laughs> I don't mean this to come across like, 
uh, in a bad way, but when I saw the tweet about how they were going to transport his stuff to Charlotte, I just kind of chuckled because I'm like, this is just example 1,492 that the NCAA mm. is clueless. And, you know, in a day and time where they, you know, we, we have conferences falling apart left and right, the governing body of college athletics would be better if it just fell apart overnight because, you know, the kids should be allowed to play. And the fact that Carolina's been uh, as proactive as they've been um, ever since they got informed he wasn't going to be allowed to play this year, the fact that, you know, I don't think it was an accident that, that Mac Brown called a press conference just to address it and really bas- blasted Charlie Baker. You heard Lonnie Galloway speak out on it. You heard um, – yeah, Chip Lindsey, Gene Chizik, the, the governor's gotten involved, former judges have gotten involved. This is just going to show you just how idiotic this is. This isn't a kid that's trying to, to game the system. This is a kid that has a real-life situation that wants to come back home and wants to be able to play college football and right now simply can't. Um, and, you know, as, as much as I've been very, I guess, straightforward in saying that Carolina needs to, needs to prepare without him, that shouldn't be the reality of the situation yet. That's where we are. And mm-hmm. the fact that there's, they're going to start installing two game plans um, is the right decision because it is game week. You're, you're what, you know, less than five days away from playing in one of the biggest games of the opening weekend of the college football season. Um, and, and this game, this game, I, I think can really swing your season one of two ways. You, you win the game, you build some great momentum and you can really put yourself in position to playing meaningful football into November. You lose this game, we'll all think back to, are we going back through through 2021 again? Um, hopefully, Tez Walker can suit up. And hopefully, if he suits up, Carolina emerges victorious Saturday night. If not, hopefully, Mac Brown, Chip Lindsey, and, and that offensive staff is putting together the right game plan to attack a South Carolina defense that is vulnerable um, and, and, can, and, and can give Drake May a chance to to be at his best on Saturday night. And look, we'll break that down a little bit more whenever we are previewing the game of how Carolina can attack them. Because I, I don't know about you, I'm still pretty confident with the wide receiving group that they have. Like, l- let's not act. It seems like a lot of people, and I, I've noticed this, and I think a lot of it's more of a national headline than than you know here locally or especially amongst Tario fans but a lot of people really seem to believe that Carolina will just be completely lost if they don't have them believe me losing a preseason all-conference caliber receiver is not going to be easy if they had them out there this could be an elite offense it could be the difference between having a really good offense and an elite offense but I still think that this room, I mean, especially with the way that Lonnie Galloway has developed these guys in, you know, recent years, you should still probably feel pretty confident about Carolina's chances to, you know, be able to throw the football pretty successfully. Also, don't know if you look, the tight end group. Um, Now, the, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about 
is there has been this notion from Tario fans that you just play him and basically show the NCAA how toothless they actually are. I To me, I don't know, man. That seems real risky to me. Again, I, I think it goes back to you trust the other guys that you got in the room, too, to be able to handle it. But, I mean, what do you think about that, just playing them and basically lawyering up and taking the NCAA to court? Yeah. Um, how about no? Because <laughs> Carolina's gotten pretty, you know, they've had the NCAA on campus for a multitude of different reasons in the last decade, decade, decade and a half, and they haven't been buried as 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 deep as they could have been um and we believe there's the potential for a special type of season here in Chapel Hill with with Drake May back at quarterback is it really worth running the risk of of as much as we want to see Tez Walker on the field putting him on the field winning that game and then winning multi and then winning a lot of games for it to all be taken away because you had a guy on the field that was deemed ineligible. I don't think so. Um, and, and, and so, and I don't think Mac Brown is going to put his reputation as a coach, as a program builder on the line with this situation, as tough as it is. Um, because he's been very outspoken about Tez Walker needing to be allowed to to be on a football field. At the end of the day, it's not worth the 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 reward is not worth the risk. I think at the end of the day, because if that were to happen, the way this thing works is the NCAA finds someone to make an example out of, or a program to make an example out of. That would be Carolina and what could be a very fun, special, heck, even even historical season could all be wiped away just because you wanted to be rebels against the NCAA. Yeah, I mean, I get it because I, I – look, I, do I think if they took them to court they would probably win? Yeah, probably because, I mean, again, th- th- this is – we can all see how – ridiculous this is to retroactively go back and punish guys that had no way of knowing um the thing is is i i mean i I don't think that carolina is going to be willing to run that risk i think they'll probably just go ahead and and play their other guys and and try to figure it out because here's the thing as of right now i I, now daryl jackson's situation is a confusing one because Brad Crawford of 24-7 Sports reported that his appeal had already been denied. Uh, There was an article written today, though, by Warchant.com, which covers uh, Florida State football and athletics in general, uh, that said that they are basically still trying to get the NCAA to take certain things into account. Now, his situation is a little bit different than Walker's. While it does involve a similar family element he did play at two schools previously um played in season for both of those schools um you also have you know the situation with jake smith at arizona state which may may just be even more ridiculous than the one that tez walker is currently dealing with um the fact that this is a guy that literally had no cho- no choice but to transfer 
He was because USC basically made him medically retire because, you know, he, he wasn't going to be playing for them and they didn't want to have the scholarship spot used up. They were still allowing him to stay there and go to school on campus. Uh, in order for him to play football again, he had to transfer according to NCAA rules. Uh, and then they deny him is really just unbelievable. He also had a similar situation, never played at USC, never played a single snap at USC. I don't even know if he made it to a practice at USC, to be honest. Um, He only played at Texas. So that situation is similar. So Tez Walker, and he's got that stuff going for him. He's got a coach leaving, um, the head coach, and multiple position coaches. There's a lot going in his favor, and people are hopeful that the reason that it's taking so long is that the decision will actually end up going in his favor. At this point, there's there's really just no no knowing. There's so much uncertainty about it, and that's not the only area of uncertainty for the Star Heel team. Uh, the defensive backfield still a pretty big uncertainty. Um, you know, Mac Brown didn't really talk about it that much. Uh, he, he he basically at this point tries to it appears just tries to stay away from that um, because I don't think they really have any updates and I think they're basically just going to hold out try to keep South Carolina on their toes about who they could be preparing for uh, makes sense South Carolina is doing the same thing uh, although we did have uh, Chris Phillips of the Spurs Up show he was on the Mac and Bone show uh, which you guys can listen to on WFNZ. Uh, 6 to 10 a.m., of course, uh, the other shows are on uh, our main airwaves as well um, that you could check out. But uh, he was on with Mac and Bone earlier this morning, and he said that uh, as of right now, he thinks uh, Nicholas Harbors probably doesn't play. Um, There are, you know, a couple of – there's an edge rusher uh, transfer from Syracuse uh, who, who is not expected to play as well. Um, the name slipping my mind at this point. And then uh, he did say that, you know, when it comes to Juice Wells, Trey Knox, he would probably lean that both of those guys play. I think Knox, most people believe at this point, it, it's pretty concrete that he'll be in there because he's been back in practice for a while. Uh, but Juice Wells is kind of up in the air. And the thing is, even if he does play, you know, what type of player are you getting? You're not going to have a guy that's at 100%. Um, so they're going to try to keep everything sort of close to the vest uh, to try to, you know, make Carolina have to prepare for a multitude of dish- different situations. I think that's what Carolina is going to do as well. So uh, I-, I think, you know, at this point, that one, you're kind of just holding your breath and-, and waiting. But I will say this, one of the interesting comments, uh, somebody asked Mac Brown about DJ Jones, and he said he is going to play a lot. So. I think we have to prepare ourselves. And again, you know, hopefully that means that he has really shown the staff that much and he is ready to go. But I think at this point that may speak more to the injuries than the fact that he is playing all, uh, just that well so far uh, here in, you know, in, in fall camp and now into uh, practice as they prepare for South Carolina. Yeah. Um you know, it wouldn't be a Tar Heel football season if they didn't go into a pretty important week one with, with some major injury concerns on either side of the ball this year. It happens to be in that defensive secondary. And 
Um, you know, I, it, it's 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 really troubling because you you look at South Carolina who has a quarterback that if he's hot, um, like he was to end last year, he can shred just about any defense in the country like he did Clemson, Tennessee, and then Notre Dame in the bowl game. Um, and it's why we've kind of really lamented here in the last week and a half or so. going be a lot of pressure um, up front for Carolina to give that back end a chance. And, you know, for those of you that have, you know, that, that are watching the all access show that the, the program's being uh, featured on, on ACC network, Matt Brown and company, they, they believe they're better up front. They believe that they're, they are a lot more physical up there. They're going to be able to, to stop the run a lot better. And they're going to be able to get after the quarterback a little bit more frequently than what we've seen in years past. And um, with the injuries right now in that secondary, that's going to need to be uh, proven to come to fruition on Saturday night because if not, Carolina might be uh, might find themselves in a Big Twelve type of tra- type of track meet to start the year. Well, here's here's the one thing that I will say, and this was mentioned by Gene Chizik when he was talking about that secondary. If they come out and they struggle, J. Jones in the game. They will move Elijah Huzzy into the nickel. They will play Marcus Allen and Teon Holloway, who they have been raving about so far in fall camp and really this entire offseason. Uh, they will they will roll with that group if they need to. I, I don't think there will be any hesitancy, nor should there be. That's that's the group that they will need to go to. And and look, you've also got Don Chapman. Don Chapman has played corner before. He did it at the high school level. It, they should not hesitate to try different things back there. And I will say this when it comes to DJ Jones. As, as I mentioned, first of all, you got to give the dude, you know, a, a, an actual chance. Who knows? He could actually be performing really, really well. Maybe they unlock something and he really is just picking things up that quickly at the nickel spot. The other thing is, and look, man, we we saw some good things from him last year, especially defending the run. It really can't get much worse in terms of yards allowed than what we saw from DeAndre Boykins a year ago. I mean, this dude allowed 724 yards in coverage, which was easily the most in all of college football. So – I mean, I get it. Hurts not having a guy that's as experienced as he is in there, but it's not like you're losing a guy that was a complete shutdown player in that nickel spot. This is not you're losing MJ Stewart back when he was at Carolina. This is a guy that last year, honestly, probably should have been pushed more in camp by some of the other guys, uh, but wasn't. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be so, something that Charlton Warren, Jason Jones, those guys are going to have to react to in-game. If they don't like what they see, then they are going to have to make changes quickly. The other thing, by the way, that can sort of eliminate the concerns that we have here, right, can, can the D can the D line just get some pressure? Can Gene Chizik scheme up some pressure at times? I think that's going to be one of the big keys, and that'll be one that we will probably talk about a lot when we are previewing this game against the Gamecocks. 
Yeah, um, I think this is going to be one where, you, you know, I, I think, you know, Matt Brown was talking about the, the the chemistry this coaching staff has, how how together they are. And I think it was very evident last year this wasn't a very cohesive staff on, on both sides of the ball, and rightfully so. I think, you know, Phil Longo felt like he had to go out there and score 50 every time to win, and when that happens, that means you don't trust the other guys on the other side of the ball to get the job done. You know, Carolina is going to need its defensive coaching staff to, to really put these guys in a position to make plays, given the injury concerns on the back end. And, you know, Gene Sizik was a guy that was very honest about his shortcomings last year as a defensive coordinator. Um, this is a guy that basically admitted to not adjusting to the current landscape of college football, the way that offense is played in 2022, because even though he was only out of the, the game for six years, in those six years, offenses have continued to evolve, and you're seeing points and yards at a record pace every single year. And hopefully, you know, they've learned from their mistakes. You've got new leadership in the back end. They're going to need the coaching staff to really give them a chance um, on Saturday night, something you haven't been able to say the last couple of years. Yeah, and look, I think Gene Chizik knows a lot of the mistakes that he made a year ago. Uh, They also, you know, have got some fresh blood in there at that cornerback coach spot, which I think was sorely needed. Um, And, and and yeah, I, I, and maybe I'm stupid for this, but you buy, I I buy in a little bit more to the fact that this is a group that's together. Cause the thing about when you brought in Gene Shizik last year was you brought in Gene Shizik. He brought Charlton Warren with him, but that was it. Everybody else remained on the coaching staff so it was a group that had to really come together quickly um and and I think it just did not click early on you've got a guy that's learned now in Gene Chizik what offenses are going to throw at him what's a little bit different he talked about that earlier uh this this fall when he was doing his first media availability uh, and he feels like he's more prepared. He feels like the guys know what to expect from his system. And it feels like the guys in the system are much more confident. And I will say this. I know that the unit was still far from perfect. They had moments where they did not execute when they needed to. Primarily, I, I look back to the game against, to, to really to both games at, at the end of uh, the game at the end of the regular season and the ACC championship game. I think those were two games where they had chances to try to help their team out, and, and they struggled at times. Um, but I think overall, you look at the numbers, especially in conference play before that NC State game, and even if you really include that one because it went to overtime, they still did a much better job than they did in the non-conference of slowing people down, of being a more formidable defense. And that's probably a defense you could live with for this year, as long as you're able to get more pressure on the quarterback and not allow nearly as many yards as you did in coverage, because the numbers, especially the the, the points allowed, were much, much better. So I think that's, the, you know, hopefully the game plan that they're looking at in this one, um, especially with a beat-up secondary, but we'll have to see. The other big thing that Mac Brown released today was the depth chart for this season. This was uh, the official one. You know, he kind of went through and did his normal thing where he kind of lists off the depth chart to the media. He comments on what's happening at most of those position groups. 
Uh, and then, you know, he, he'll just uh, – he eventually moved on and took questions. But, uh, you know, just from looking at it, we got it, and I put an article up on the website with my reactions to it. But we're going to get Josh's reactions uh, to some of what you saw uh, here. I mean, look, we'll just kind of go position group by position group and talk about if there's anything really that shocking. Uh, do we even have to waste our time on quarterback? We already knew that Connor Harrell won the backup job. He has kept that backup job, uh, which is not shocking at all. Um, I, I think at this point, uh, you know, it, it's that, that that position is is pretty much settled for this season, barring an injury. Uh, you move on to running back. Now, this this is pretty interesting. Um, I am kind of shocked by the fact that, that that Elijah Green is is third on this step chart. I, I just I get it. I know that British Brooks has been doing some really really good things in fall camp. I, I know they've been bragging about him, and I know Amari and Hampton was going to be involved one way or another. He has become an extremely well rounded player. He is uh, the only guy that we've heard them talk about improved pass protection from in this room. Um, I just cannot believe that the guy that was really one of the steady forces of your offense, even late in the season last year, when your quarterback, your offensive line was struggling. I can't believe that Elijah Green is a third stringer on this step chart. Yeah, no, neither could I. Um, you know, and look, I think British Brooks has done a lot of nice things for Carolina on and off the field. Um, he's a leader, you know, on and off the field. Special teams captain. Um, I don't think he's as good a football player as Elijah Green is. And you look at what Elijah Green was the last half of the year when they kind of when they finally figured out what to kind of do at running back and how to give the guys the carries and everything like that. He was a productive player in that backfield for Carolina. Um, and this was a guy that I thought, you know, coming into this year, much more solidified role, more kept, more touches, more carries, maybe with threat to rush for a thousand yards. You know, that could still that could still be possible the way this 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 room shakes out. You just never know. Um, but to see him third on the list is is surprising. It's also just a testament to the talent and the depth that they've um that, that that they've accumulated at that position the the thing that does suck is you know in the days era of college football you you see five guys listed at least one of those guys is going to enter the portal you would imagine because they're just they're just too gifted to not be on the football field in some capacity um and there will be other schools that will value them so um as I mean I looked up and down this depth chart that as much as anything was one of the most surprising things I saw as Carolina gets ready for their season opener. Yeah, and look, you got to give a lot of credit to British Brooks because this is a guy that came off of an injury that could have ended his career. It would have been very easy for him to say, look, man, I've been here six years. I suffered this injury. I'm done. You know, maybe he got a taste of it last year. You know, he, he was a uh, he, he was a student coach. He maybe he got a taste of that and would have said, look, I, I just want to be a grad assistant. But he didn't. He fought back. Um, you know, he worked his way back. He, he wasn't even full strength in spring camp. So 
really he came back and just took away these positions. And, you know, he there, there's an or next to his name with him and Amari and Hampton. Those will be the two guys that will sort of run the show there. Um, by all indications, Hampton has taken a step forward from last year, as you would expect. And remember, that we, we compared this dude coming out of high school to Javante Williams. This dude, he has a similar skill set. I really think this could be a pretty – Pretty huge season for him. I won't give away too much because we do have breakout candidates coming up here in our next edition of the podcast. But I do think that he is on track to have a pretty big year. Uh, and look, Elijah Green, I still think, is a guy that's going to be involved. Mac Brown said, look, we want to have three backs. And as last year showed, there are there is the possibility that guys will get banged up. Heck, we even saw it when Javante Williams and Michael Carter were on campus. Uh, there were times where Javante got banged up. You had to have other guys uh, that could come in, and and I think that's certainly something that you could see be the case again this year. Um, but you know, it really is a testament, and I'm going to trust you know a guy in Larry Porter who really is as experienced as it gets as a running back coach. Uh, to make the right decision with this room. It just, when you have this much talent in that room, it sucks. Hard decisions have to be made. Uh, but that one was certainly shocking. Uh, wide receiver, not a ton of shocking things here. I know a lot of people were really blown away by Gavin Blackwell being a starter at wide receiver. But we've been talking about this really since the start of fall camp. I, this was one of the best things that we got um, from talking with Michael Coe the first day of ball practice he said look I see Gavin Blackwell running primarily with the ones out there and that has remained consistent throughout and now we see it show up here on the depth chart so to me that one didn't really shock me um there were two other ones that shocked me a little bit I don't, I'm not going to say I was stunned like I was with Elijah Green but I found it interesting that Kobe Pesor is Listed as the starter now again, an or next to his name, so you will see both him and Nate McCollum. But the fact that he will probably be the guy that takes the field first over the Georgia Tech transfer, who was just raved about so much in spring camp, I think is really telling about how good of a player Kobe Pesor is. Uh, and it really shows that Carolina may have two tremendous receiving options in the slot uh, and then the other one that really interested me was uh, that battle behind Tez Walker uh, and what could be the other starting outside wide receiver spot between J.J. Jones and the true freshman Christian Hamilton. I knew Christian Hamilton had been playing well. He had caught the eye of the staff. But I got to tell you, I thought J.J. Jones would probably be that guy that would end up being the starter there if Tez Walker – uh, was, you know, deemed ineligible. I thought he'd probably be the guy that would play almost exclusively again there this year like he did last year. But that does not seem to be the case. Christian Hamilton is making a pretty strong push to get some playing time. Yeah, um, you know, when I looked at it too, um, you know, seeing Gavin Blackwell as a starter, again, not overly uh, surprising just because, as you said, Michael Coe, uh, has really told us that from the beginning of fall camp. And look, we knew when he was coming out of high school, it was a four-star prospect that, you know, he he had the goods to be a big-time playmaker. When you see Kobe Pesor being a starter over Nate McCollum, he's got the or beside his name, you know, the, the thing that you got to 
harken back to was that in, in Pesor's three starts last year, he led the team in receiving in all three games. Mm-hmm. And, and and so, you know, he has, you know, he, he has he has produced um for Carolina in the past. And then look at that JJ Jones or Christian Hamilton. It's not it's not uncommon to see uh true freshmen step into a a role in, in modern college football and be productive. Um, but you know, for him to be kind of where he is, assuming if Tez Walker isn't on the field to where he's gonna see a handful of snaps, I think really one goes to show you how good of a, a talent he is. B, um, just how good of a coach Lonnie Galloway is. And that's the thing that, you know, you look at the receiving core. And, you know, I've, I've kind of said that I think Tez Walker maybe is a difference maker whether Carolina wins or loses the game on Saturday. Even if he can't go, there's a lot of talent and depth in that room. And mm-hmm. there's, there's there's enough there to where with the quarterback that you have to where it's not impossible for Carolina to go score points and put up a lot of yards in the process because they got a lot of dudes that can make a lot of plays in the passing game in a variety of different ways, whether it's short, intermediate, or of course, deep down the football field. And so um, I think you got to like just how diverse and how deep this wide receiver room. And if Carolina can run the ball the way that Chip Lindsey wants to run the ball, it's going to make this passing game all the more lethal. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing I will say this, if is somehow Christian Hamilton, which I don't, think they will lean I think they would lean with the more experienced guy in JJ Jones who does have a history of already playing with uh with Drake May if they were to at some point go with Christian Hamilton Kobe Pesor and Gavin Blackwell their two outside receivers would be under six foot and I know that would be where people would immediately panic now hopefully look this is the thing. We just talked about that right there, that battle between Jones and Hamilton. If Tez Walker plays that battle, I'm not going to say it means nothing because you'll still see those guys occasionally rotate in. It is not going to mean anywhere near as much as if he is deemed ineligible. That is a That goes from a battle for a starting job to a battle for a backup job behind a guy that is set to be one of the best receivers in his conference, and really one of the better wide receivers in all of college football this year. So, I I mean, that that is what is so interesting about that one. When you move to the tight end position, and again, this is another one. I have heard from multiple people that John Copenhaver was going to be the main, the the, the number one guy here. He has absolutely lit it up this offseason. He has been tremendous, um, and, and, you know, he – he is a guy that Freddie Kitchens loves. Him, Kamari Morales, those are the top two guys because I hearken back to what Freddie Kitchens said when he met with the media. If you don't block, you're not going to play. And that's the reason why and probably something that shocked a lot of people when they looked at the depth chart was Bryson Nesbitt being the third string guy here. Um, I think it just goes back to Bryson Nesbitt was not a great blocker a year ago. That's an area that we knew when he came out of high school he was going to have to work on. But at the same time, you're talking about a guy that is your leading returning receiver from a year ago. Um, 
and many people expected that he could have a huge year. He is also absolutely loved by NFL scouts. So this one, you talk about some polarizing decisions here. There are going to be a lot of people that are going to be pretty angry with Kitchens if this tight end room does not produce the way that it is supposed to. Yeah, and look, I, I I love it all on the surface, right? That if you don't block, you don't play. Carolina needs to be more physical at the point of attack. Um, there's questions on this offensive line, so you're going to need your tight ends to help block, and I understand that. Um, Bryson Nesbitt's too gifted to not be on the football field. Uh, he makes your offense better because he, he he's he's a weapon. He's a unicorn. Um, he's really hard to guard when you just look at you know the size one and the speed that he has to go with it. And so, um, you know, let, let, let's just say this. Um, if there comes a point in time where he needs to be on the field and Caroline needs to go get a touchdown, I don't give a crap if he's blocking or not. Put him on the field because he can make plays. And that, that's got to be one where, again, I get, I get the message that Freddie Kitchens is trying to get across. But tight ends in 2023 don't have to be blockers to be productive. And this is a guy that I, I think would be – Carolina would be doing a disservice if he isn't on the field in, in, in a large capacity, whether it's Saturday night or all season long. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, again, when it comes to these depth charts, and especially this position group, it's hard to really read into – this as okay he's not gonna play really at all no he's gonna play that that I really think that that was just I mean coaches have their sayings man and I think you know we saw there were moments where Bryson Nesbitt better as a blocker I mean look if you go back and watch his junior high school film you would say there is no way in hell this dude's playing tight end he did not block at all he played exclusively on the outside so For him to come as far as he has, watching his senior film and then watching him last year, you know, I I look, the willingness is there. I think it will eventually come for him. I I just it's tough, man. You and and this room is so talented. Like John Copenhaver, this dude has taken on this year. I think he is going to be a, a guy that most people coming into the year will not really have high on their radars and I'm talking in the ACC and I think by the time we get to midseason everybody's going to be talking about this dude so that that's that's one thing you've got Kamari Morales the thing with Kamari Morales that's tough is that Kamari Morales is the only tight end in your program's history to have double digit touchdowns in his career so he's a red zone threat so you don't Really want to take that guy off the field. He's also a pretty solid blocker. So they there's just a log jam in this room. I think they're going to be strategic about how they use these guys. I think that you know John Copenhaver said it when he did, or, or no, it was Morales. Excuse me, when he had media availability earlier in the fall. There will be times that you will see this team use three tight ends on the field at the same time, and they will throw the football. Um. There, there will be times where you will see two tight ends and it will be different combinations. It'll be Copenhaver and Nesbitt, Copenhaver and Morales, Morales and Nesbitt. They're going to use these guys in all different ways. So you will see Nesbitt in some capacity. And I also think they can 
get kind of creative with how they use them as well. They could use them you know, on the outside. We saw that a little bit last year in the spring. So I think there could be a role for them somewhere, but that's certainly interesting. Uh, the offensive line group, I mean, I, I don't I don't know. Like, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm frankly just disappointed in, in this group. Um, you know, William Barnes being the starter at left tackle, you know, I, I, I've had my concerns with that the entire time. They haven't really changed at this point. Um, the other tackle spot, Spencer Rollin, we knew he was going to be out there. The good news is, is that one, Diego Pounds, Matt Brown said that he thinks he'll play some on Saturday. So that tells me that he's taken a pretty big step. Feel like there will be times where they will go to him and see what he's got, and I, I got to be honest, I'm hoping that he shows something and he can take over one of those spots because I I feel like we've already seen what we need to see in, in their careers, and and I get it. Rollin was in his first year last year, but I, I just there there's so much concern right now on that offensive line with that group out there. Um, but we know, I mean, we know what William Barnes is, man. He struggled last year pass protecting at right guard now he's going to be basically doing everything to his other side having to change his 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 stance and everything like that um while having to become a better pass protector I just I don't know we'll see um hopefully Diego Pounds is ready for that Uh, and then you know you look interior like Corey Gaynor as the starting center like Willie Lampkin as the starting right guard I I cannot believe that Ed Montalus is starting again for this team. I, I that that may that may be a little too brutally honest for some of you, but guys, seeing what this dude is as a starter, he's got nothing. He, he's just he he's a guy that no matter how many times you give him that starting job at left corner, he always seems to struggle. Now this is probably a bad reflection on the rest of the guys in that room. Uh, especially a guy like Jonathan Adorno, who, I mean, from everything I had heard, he was the guy starting at right guard, and Willie Lampkin was the guy running at left guard. So I don't know if that just means Adorno has just really struggled that bad at the end of camp or what. But, I I mean, I I can't help but look at this group and just be disappointed with, with what we're seeing there. Yeah, I think it's the biggest reason why we have uh, cautious optimism that this offense is going to pick up where it was in the middle of the year last year because this 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 offensive line got its ass kicked the last four games of the year uh, last year. Um, and look, you, you, they were playing you know good, talented front state, Clemson, Oregon. Um, getting overwhelmed by Georgia Tech was pathetic and embarrassing. And, you know, I think this is an area where Carolina has, they've brought some transfers in to try to, to get better on in that unit. And it hasn't, it hasn't quite happened. Um, they've, I mean, these, let's just put it to you this, this, this bluntly. This position group has been so bad. They drove me to quit writing about the offensive line. Well, um, nobody wanted to read about them. No, well, you know, to be fair, you also wrote about the defensive line, which isn't really much better. So, it, you know, and I think it's going to be something where 
you know, I think we're just uh, when it comes to Carolina in the trenches, I'm in I'm in wait and see mode. I, I mean, you could tell me that they've got that they could recruit five five stars to come play left left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, right tackle, and I wouldn't believe they're going to be any good, uh, which is frustrating. But that's just where we're at. And so for right now, look, do I like it? No. Hopefully on Saturday night, um, they bring their jock straps and they put their pads on and they want to punish people into the earth. Because if not, it, 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 it could be a, a long night for your Heisman hopeful quarterback. Well, the good news is, is as I mentioned, the South, South Carolina will be without one of their premier pass rushers they, they that they're going to feature this year. Um, you know, their defensive line as a whole isn't great. Uh, they, they still have some questions there uh, on their own. And I will say this. I, I think that the offensive line a year ago was probably better, especially at the end of the year, as a run-blocking unit than they were in pass protection. And we're hoping that this is going to be a little bit more of a run-heavy offense. So hopefully you just lean on that. But, yeah, I, I think that's that's the best way to put it. Uh, we're in wait-and-see mode. You move over to the defensive side of the trenches. Now, this one, I – and, again, you're probably going to say that I'm an idiot for this. I feel more co- more confident in this group than the offensive line. Now, that's not really saying much. But I think Kamen Rucker, you know, finally they are moving him to that jack position, which I think just fits him so much better. Um, I mean, at 265, he is easily the heaviest guy that they've had play that position, um, which is probably a little bit better. It'll help them set the edge in the run a little bit more. I think it'll allow them to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, you'll see a little bit more physicality um, from that guy off the edge because I think that's that's certainly something that Kamen Rucker has shown at times. Um, I like that fit for him out there. Amari Gaynor backing him up. I think that works out perfect. You know, power end. Talk about a dude that we're waiting – we got to wait and see on. Man, they keep telling me every year Des Evans has a great camp. That's that's tremendous. Can we see it on the field? Like, until we see it, I I just – I really care about that. Um, Bo Atkinson, Jacoby Cowan, Mac Brown said those guys will play more this season than they have played in the past. So I don't know if that's a reflection of, hey, if if we see Des Evans struggling – we're not going to be hesitant to take them out and put one of these other guys in. Let's hope that's the mindset that they're taking towards it. Um, the thing that was most encouraging to me is the defensive tackle spots. The nose tackle spot, Kevin Hester expected to start, but has the oar next to his name with Tamari Fox. Tamari Fox is another guy. You talk about the, the staff bragging on guys. Tamari Fox has been one of those guys. Um, they love the leadership that he's brought, but they say he's been very productive. Um, and if you look at his numbers from his freshman year, you would see a really productive player. They're hoping they can restore that form for him, um, and hopefully he he can do some of those things. He, even his sophomore year, uh, he was better in, in in the middle of that Carolina defense than what we saw last year. Um, the three technique, Miles Murphy, uh, he's again going to be the starter, but he's got the oar next to his name. And they have finally come to their senses and moved Jabari Ritzy inside. And I got to tell you, uh, 
if, if Miles Murphy struggles really at all, you should not hesitate to go to Javari Ritzy almost full time. Javari Ritzy showed you last year. That man knows how to stop the run. He plays better on the interior of that defensive line. You need to give him a, a, a really solid amount of reps. And I think that the fact that there are oars next to those guys' names after it originally, when I when I heard them talk earlier in the fall, I thought these dudes are going to be backups again to these guys, and they are going to have Hester and Murphy taking the majority of the reps. I don't think that's the way that they're approaching it, and that's that's what I need to see from this group that, hey, you don't perform up front, we've got other talent behind you that's going to come in there and play. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really like – Javari Ritzy a lot. He was a guy that uh, I thought down the stretch gave that defensive line somewhat of a pulse uh, mm-hmm. as, as as much as they could. Came in Rucker, moving to that jack position, much more natural fit. You just got to worry about him you know, because he's always been just a little undersized. How much can his body uh, hold up over the course of a 12, hopefully 13, maybe 14-game schedule? Um, Kevin Hester Jr., y- y- you know, Okay, Tamari Fox, okay. Uh, I'd like to see Travis Shaw have a much bigger role. Um, And then power in, you know, we've been waiting for Des Evans to show up. Like, we've been waiting for women to show up on dating apps. Um, (laughs) And and hopefully – Hey, I got a match today. I got a match today. I'm feeling good, so maybe that's a sign. Yeah, so did I. And maybe he'll, you know, he'll want to be a productive college football player. Because considering where his recruitment was and how much as he's been hyped up over his time at campus, he's been the most overrated, one of the more busted athletes to come through this football program in the last decade or so. Boy, that's a that's a phrase. And then maybe maybe that changes, and maybe he can change the narrative this year, starting on Saturday night. Because if it, look, it's really this simple. If this defensive line isn't adequate. This defense isn't going to be very good. Um, as great yep. as Carolina's linebacking duo is, it's probably the second best in the ACC right there behind Clemson's. It's not enough to mask the holes that, that, that exist up front or in the secondary. And, you know, hopefully, you know, Tim Cross takes this personally. Um, you would like to think he's coaching with a sense of urgency that has been very communicated to him that if you don't coach very well, you're going to be unemployed. Um, that man should have been pink, uh, pink slip two years ago. So, somehow he still has a job. Yeah, um, I wouldn't hold your breath. I would not hold your breath. What what you're praying for is that Monachino makes a difference in that room. That's, that's what you got to hope for. He's an NFL guy, college level. That's what you're hoping for. And with Travis Shaw, a lot of people were reacting to that. Guys, Travis Shaw is still 335. Like, I just don't know what to tell you. Like, that dude is not going to play a ton of snaps. He just can't. He's he's not he's not in good enough shape to play, you know, 50, 60 stats. That just ain't happening. Like, I feel like a lot of people look at him and say, man, the dude's got a ton of talent. And, you know, we think, oh, he, he could be like Aaron Crawford or Jason Strobridge. We need to see him on the field as often as possible. I agree with you. Put him out there in, in as many situations as you can. 
But the reason he's not listed as a starter is because Kevin Hester and Tamari Fox, they're going to play more snaps than him, guys, because he, he's just he, – he does not have the stamina yet to be able to play that many snaps. I, I said this, you know, when I, I was talking uh, with – I think it was for the first day of camp with Michael Cal. The way that they are going to use him is similar, and I'm not saying they are similar players because I people are going to probably try to overreact to this and say, oh, you're saying he's this type of player. They will use him like Georgia used Jordan Davis. They will strategically use him because he just is – he's so big that he's not going to be able to hold up and play – for as long as you need him to at the college level. Because people say, well, why was he able to do it in high school? Well, first of all, in high school, you know, he, he didn't weigh nearly as much as he did last year. He put on a lot of weight in that year between his June, the end of his junior year when he won a state title. He had a shoulder injury that sort of set him back, kept him out of the weight room and everything like that. And that's where he, he put on the weight. He played really heavy last year, was impactful at times, but you saw there just wasn't the stamina there. He's still working on building that. So he's going to play. But, guys, you need some patience here. Linebacker, I mean, there's not really much to talk about here. I mean, Power Eccles, Cedric Gray, your starters. Uh, Amari Campbell, he's going to be the backup to both of those guys. I know he's only listed as the backup to Power Eccles, but he's going to be – the guy that will back up either one of those guys if there is an injury. Um, and he, you know, could rotate in. Mac Brown said that we will see him at times in this game. Um, I'll be interested to see what situations those are. Uh, but, hey, I, I'll, I'll say this. If they are cool and how much they are actually raving about him and this guy can help keep Power Eccles – um, or Cedric Gray, a little bit fresher for the end of this game and for the season as a whole. Hey, all power to him. Let's let's see the kid out there. But um, I think they have to be smart and they have to realize if hey, early he's struggling a little bit. Hey, we got to stick with our two main guys. Um, Sebastian Cheek still battling for that fourth linebacker spot there. Um, you know, other than that, I mean, maybe Deuce Caldwell battling Michael Short. Uh, at the backup mic position, but this this group is pretty much what we expect. Yep, and you know, hopefully Eccles and Gray can continue to be the duo that they've been, and hopefully, you know, whether it's it's Saturday night or in some of these games where Carolina is going to be the better opponent, you can get these other dudes on the field to develop some some depth um, in 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 that position group. That way, when Gray goes to the NFL and Eccles moves on, you've got your next uh, core linebackers re- ready to take over. Well, now we get to the group <laughs> that might be the most intriguing. As you would expect, absolutely nothing is given away by this depth chart in terms of injuries. All the injured guys that you would that you are looking for, they're all on here. So you can't really tell much by that. Um, Elijah Huzzy going to start at the one outside corner position. The other outside corner position, Marcus Allen or Teon Holloway. Now, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think that's more of, hey, we're going to play these three guys. They will rotate Holloway in. It could be for Huzzy. It could be for Allen. 
At times it could be, hey, we're rotating him in. We're putting Huzzy in the nickel spot. Um, so I, I, I think I think that's that's probably pretty expected with what we heard. Again, Holloway has just been I, – I, I have heard this staff talk about a lot of guys that have showed up in camp, especially in fall camp. This They have absolutely raved about this dude from the first day of fall camp. And, and they think that this that he's going to be a big-time player. And it's not just the staff. It's the players in that room, too. I think they, they may have something in this young man, and, and it'll be interesting to see. And then you talk about the star position. I, I, something that's interesting here, you have DeAndre Boykins listed as the starter. You do not have Stick Lane listed at this position at all. That was a position that we thought he was going to come in and be able to play. He played that at Georgia State. They only list him as the backup boundary safety. And if you're saying, well, do they list other guys in different positions on this roster if they're already listed? Yes. Yes, they do. They did it with George Petaway, who shows up. Uh, They did it with J.J. Jones, who shows up multiple times. They are willing to put guys on here multiple times. So the fact that you only see him on there once, I think is interesting. It basically shows you that, hey, Carolina views Stick Lane as a safety. They view DeAndre Boykins as their starting star player whenever he's ready to go. And if not, his backup listed is DJ Jones. And then two safeties, Nothing really stunning here either. Don Chapman is the starting boundary safety, and the field safety is Geo Biggers. Um, Thing that's probably most noteworthy here, Will Hardy listed as the backup field safety. The thing I will say about that is that I think that has more to do with the fact that he has been pretty much banged up this entire offseason, has not practiced at all in fall camp unless he has returned here in the last couple of days and they just have not said anything. Um, so I think that's more the reason why you see him as the backup there. Um, but, you know, I, I think relatively formidable unit, but uh, again, injuries are really going to tell the tale for this game on Saturday for this unit. Yeah. I mean, I, I just put up, but just put all these dudes in, in, in bubble wrap and, and just pray to God they don't get any more injured. You know, I I like you know, I raved about Marcus Allen a lot at the end of last year. You can you you can hype up to Holloway all you want in, in camp until that translate onto the field. You know, you just don't ever really know. Um, and I would be very careful with him playing a, a significant role on Saturday. Just getting caught up in the moment. Um, you, you know, you 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 see young players get overwhelmed. Big, you know, NFL stadium bright lights. SEC opponent that you you, you know you, you want to just take it easy with him. Gonna keep my reservations for Elijah Huzzy until he does it at the Power Five level. Um, but there's there's definitely talent there. You know, boundary safety uh, safety would maybe like to see Stick Lane have a bigger role just because you know I've seen enough of Don Chapman in my life to know that I can't trust him to be consistent. He was very good at times a year ago, but it was a very inconsistent level of play. Uh, pretty much what you've seen from him since his freshman year. Uh, field safety. Um, yeah. Yeah. Geo Biggers. You know, I, I remember we bought in on Geo Biggers, was it two years ago? 
and that that that, that was proven to be uh, the 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 wrong decision. Well, I think it was. I think it was last year. And I will. I think second year as a starter, I, I think he probably takes a leap this year. Well, I mean, I, I would. Kind of hard not to, considering just how uh, blah he was last year, and then DeAndre Boykins. You know, maybe maybe DJ Jones isn't the worst thing to to be on the field Saturday. <laughs> I mean, because at this rate. I'm pretty sure I could go out and and beat DeAndre Boykins in coverage. That's how. All right, I've seen you walk up. I've I've seen you walk up a flight of stairs. You 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 couldn't cover a vending machine, uh, Rice Krispie treat at this point. So you know, when it comes to the secondary, we need the front seven to give them a chance. If 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 the front seven can can do what it's it's capable of doing, you can really hide the the deficiencies that exist in this room, even when they are healthy. But even more so with them being magnified with all the injuries that do exist in 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 the secondary. All right, then you move on to special teams, and this one, um, you know, we we have a conclusion to two of the battles that that we were looking at in this room. Um, you do have Ryan Coe wins the kicking battle. Got to be honest, kind of shocked by that um, with with the inconsistencies that he's shown. I thought uh, that we would see them go with Noah Burnett because they know him. He's a more, you know, he's a guy that's, that's been there, but they'll go with the transfer. They'll see what he's got. I, I will say this. I think that's pretty fluid. If Ryan Coe comes out and struggles, they will go back to Noah Burnett. Um, and, and that one, you could see them bounce back and forth between the, those two guys the entire year. I'm just hoping that Coe has won the battle. He puts it behind him, and he can be the guy that he was at Cincinnati. I mean, the dude hit 19 of 23 field goals a year ago. If he can do anything close to that this year, that would be a massive upgrade for Carolina. The other position battle there is punt returner. Elijah Huzzy wins that. He was a really, really good punt returner uh, at East Tennessee State. Uh, two of his three years there, he averaged double-digit yards uh, per return. So I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with that. I'll say little, little caught off guard by the fact that Will Hardy is the other guy there. That was a guy that at one time, the last time they updated that position, he wasn't even mentioned there. Now, I thought I saw him in the documentary, um, but I kind of just passed it off and said, okay, well, maybe that's maybe Grady Sherrill, who was the other guy they talked about. Maybe he's got a different number, something like that. No, Will Hardy's the uh, the guy that uh, is currently the backup there. So that'll be interesting. Uh, the other spots, I will say this, Holder, a little bit shocked. Cole Maynard was the holder the entire year last year. Uh, he is not the holder for this year. It's going to be Ben Kiernan. Um, and he, of course, won the starting uh, the, the starting punter job. Uh, you've also got um, Petaway winning the, uh, the win, winning the kickoff returner spot, and then kickoff specialist Ryan Coe uh, will take over those duties. Makes a lot of sense. Not great as a kickoff man, but better statistics than Noah Burnett uh, a year ago. This one, I mean, it all comes down to that place kicking. What that that those two guys? I mean, if they can't figure it out, then that's that could be the undoing of of this unit as a whole. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really played a role in them losing the last two games of the regular season at home to Georgia Tech and NC State, teams that had inferior uh, quarterback play coming into Chapel Hill. Um, you know, outside of that, I, I think if that's corrected in Carolina, like if, if they're just average, above average in the kicking game, I think they're they're good enough in, in, in all the other areas to be a solid special teams unit. But like I said, whenever you talk about teams that have special type of seasons, you don't see teams that, that are playing in New Year's Six Bowl games. They don't have bad special teams. It doesn't exist. Um, and if Carolina wants to get back to a New Year's Six Bowl game, they need to be a special special teams unit. And that all starts and ends with, with what they can do in, with, with, with their place kicker. Um, and then maybe making some dynamic plays in the kickoff or the punt return game. I thought Michael Coe made a great point when he, I was talking with him the other day. Noah Burnett really kind of uh, an idolation of what Carolina was a year ago. He started the season outstanding. It's actually his first 11 games. Against Georgia Tech, he did not miss a field goal in that one. He had, He missed just one kick in the first 11 games of the season. Where the wheels fell off, he missed two against NC State, including the one that won NC State the game. He missed one against Clemson, which you may say, well, how much did that really matter? If you remember, that was relatively early in the game. So that that really could have meant something for Carolina, could have kept them in the game at that time. Uh, and then he misses what would have ended up being – a huge three points for Carolina and would have been the difference in the game against Oregon. So, yeah, I mean, that that group has to be better. You can't have a kicker that starts the year out as well as he did, fall off at the end and miss five, uh, four kicks, excuse me, in the last five games. Just simply cannot happen. So uh, that that's, you know, your look at the depth chart. Uh, guys, we've got a breakdown on the website, heeltoughblog.com. I go uh, a little more in-depth on what I saw uh, from the depth chart when it was released earlier today, so make sure you guys go and check that out. Uh, we also uh, have a bit of news uh, at the tight end position uh, that we will be putting up as well uh, for you guys. We'll have a further press conference takeaways. That will be going up tomorrow. Uh, we'll also have uh, breakout players that will be coming for you guys, bold predictions, uh, that podcast uh, edition uh, will be going up as well. And then, of course, we will then get into the mode of preparing you for the Tar Heels game uh, against South Carolina. We'll go into full preview mode, and then we'll be in season. We'll be doing the previews, the recaps. Occasionally, we'll sprinkle some other things in there for you guys. Uh, but uh, we will uh, have you locked and loaded for this game inside of Bank of America Stadium as the Tar Heels look to recover from, uh, you know, the last meeting that they had with the Gamecocks there. Uh, and, of course, last year's showing in the ACC championship game uh, in uh, that stadium. And they do it in prime time. We'll have you covered on that night as well. We'll also uh, be out of game day, so make sure that you guys are following us on social media. I'm sure we'll be putting up a bunch of stuff about that. Uh, we'll be at the game as well. So uh, it's going to be a really exciting start to the year, and hopefully – the Tar Heels can uh, find a way to pull out a victory and give Mac Brown, by the way, a late birthday present. Happy 72nd birthday to Coach Brown. He had that 
earlier this week. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tarzan. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.